0: Hi everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the Legal Wolf podcast which was set up to raise awareness of and tackle the stigma surrounding mental health um, not only within the UK but around the world. My guest today is attorney and executive business coach Doug Brown and Doug is the chief learning officer of Summit Success International where he teaches attorneys and how to grow their practices and get more done in less time so they can live balanced lives and make it home for dinner on time. Um, today, we're going to bust some myths about lawyers and mental health, legal tech, and share some tips you can put into practice for yourself and those in your world. Welcome, Doug. It's great to have you here today.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. I'm so uh, so happy to be here and to be part of the conversation about uh, helping lawyers. Um, talk honestly about mental health and how to be better looking forward to it
0: yeah no absolutely and i think it's a topic that there's as i've said in the introductory spiel there's a lot of myths surrounding lawyers um but just for the listeners would you be able to give a bit more information about your background yeah absolutely um I've been in the law
1: business as a lawyer and as an executive for, I did the math, 30 years, which is a frightening number for me. Wow! Uh, I, started, I don't <laughs> feel like it. Um, I started off in, in the early 90s as an associate in a, in a great firm. Then I had the opportunity to pivot and go in-house because I'm an entrepreneur at heart and I had a chance to go in and help a company wow. go from 30 to $300 million in, in turnover and revenue. And then got to go into the business side, doing startups and turnarounds and really running, learning all about the business of businesses, which was very helpful as I made that transition. Um, And then I got to be a professor and a program chair in an MBA program where I taught innovation and leadership and business building. Um, So that's kind of an interesting journey. And that's when I got into um, the work that I do now, executive coaching and helping lawyers uh, get more done in less time. And maybe even be home for dinner on time. And I got recruited as a way by way of background to go back into the legal world and um, become the chief executive officer, the executive director of the Connecticut Bar Association and help them basically lead a turnaround uh, yep. for that organization, get it back to prosperity and financial health. And then um, got to uh, uh, after having 10,000 lawyers as bosses, we're gonna talk about stress and overwhelm, 10,000 mm-hmm. lawyers as bosses will do it. Um, And then I went into retail and helped to transition a family generation business from the fourth to the fifth generation. And all of that now helps me do what I do, which is help lawyers learn more about how to run the business of the law. And as it comes to our topic today, um, tackle and share some of my firsthand experience with um, some of the stress and overwhelming mental health issues that come along with, you know, having so much responsibility and doing so many things so quickly. Um, because that's a lot of what I see in my work with, with lawyers is, is these, um, I'm not, I'm not a medical professional. I've just lived a life and have a lot of awareness around, um, how overwhelming stress and long-term exposure to that can actually trigger some mental health issues.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And in terms of some of the myths that are around, about lawyers. What do you feel are the, are the top myths that, that are out there that really need to be busted?
1: I've been doing a lot of thinking of that, about that coming into our conversation today. And I think it's the largest two are one that we're supposed to know everything as lawyers. Yep. And and related to that, that, well, it can't happen to me. if. Some If I somehow have a problem with my mental health, I must somehow be defective or less worthy or, and so it sneaks up on you. And the myth is that it, it can't happen to you, that, that mental health issues don't happen to um, smart, successful people. And I can tell you that that's wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've, I feel that within the legal profession, mental health is very much excluded rather than included because people don't necessarily want to disclose that they're suffering with their mental health because, as we've already pointed out, they will be perceived as either weak, unable to do their job, and then lose the respect of their fellow peers. And I guess lawyers, they, they have a lot of stress. Obviously, being a mental health lawyer, myself, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of pressure on lawyers with all the various audits that we have to comply with, with the various regulatory bodies Yes. and really, I feel as if lawyers go from one audit to the next, they pass an audit, get that one done, then they work to the other one and there's not much time to do what a lawyer is supposed to do, which is actual lawyering
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The system, I mean, let's just call it what it is. We're trying to raise awareness. The system is broken. Um, Lawyers, we do really important work. It consumes massive amounts of physical, mental, and emotional energy. And all we are taught in law school and in CLEs, and I love CLEs. I used to produce CLEs for many years, but it's all about the technician and the technical aspects of being a lawyer. And, not about the personal management aspects, the emotional intelligence, the leadership, even of yourself, because those are somehow soft skills that are beneath lawyers, which is wrong. And I know I fell into the mode of, I just keep doing more. I'll keep helping other people. And I don't have to worry about helping myself because if I'm helping other people, then obviously I'll be okay. And you're right. You wind up pushing and taking on more and doing more and, and and to the outward world, you're much more—you're being successful. Like, wow, how can you do all these things? Yet inside, there's kind of something dying inside. If you don't have a way to um, be kind to yourself and to replenish your 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 energy, so you can do the lawyer work. Um, and and at least in the United States, up until not that long ago, you had to pass a mental mental health at least questionnaire to even be admitted to the law, to practice, you could go through and invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in your education, pass the bar exam, and the very last step, it's almost like it was looking back on it, it's like a joke. You're totally qualified. Have you ever had any mental health issues? Because if you answer yes, they can say you can't be a lawyer. So it just pushes this underground and and at least United States that's changing, but it doesn't take the stigma away.
0: No. Yeah, I mean it it's as we've obviously already discussed the, the legal profession is a broken system and it needs to be fixed um by allowing lawyers to discuss about any mental health problems that they have um in in, in order to make it acceptable within law. I mean Obviously, this episode is purely focused on law, but it, it seems to be the corporate workplace whereby there seems to be a lot of stigma surrounding mental health, be that the legal profession, be that the finance and banking profession.
1: Yeah, I, you know, Steve, I think that there's, so yes, the system's broken, but the, the larger issue is that we have all experienced conditioning. Yeah. um that it's not okay to talk about this stuff and it's not unlike um the stigma that went along with alcoholism before people realized that that was an actual physical um addiction it wasn't a failure of character um and so it's not just the system doesn't want to admit there's a problem we don't want to admit there's a problem it's hard to say since lawyers i was in i, I spoke at the Maine state bar association in their annual meeting back when we could have in-person meetings, and I said, you know, who in here is a control freak? And everybody's hand went up. Some people put two hands up. So when you, so when you're a control freak, you don't want to admit that something is. And um, as a, as a control freak, I'm not judging, right? <laughs> so that's that's a lawyer. Yeah. Thing. Um, <laughs> that admitting you've got these issues is is almost like admitting you're out of control. It's not that you're broken. It's just it's uncomfortable to admit that you're out of control, and. You know, in my experience, you know, there's people think that, you know, I guess the thing, the myth I want to get across is there's this perception, even within a discussion of mental health, that if you're having issues, you're somehow debilitated, right? You are, have the classic signs of depression and and all these other things. So you're non-functional. And then if you are functional, you somehow, maybe there's even guilt saying, well, I'm not that non-functional, so I can't have a mental health issue. The truth is that high performers, high achievers, it's you know, high performance anxiety, um, have all the same kind of things, but it's hidden behind this veneer of, of you're super successful on the outside. So it's not okay to talk about mental health issues. But, but what I experienced, both with myself and with my clients, is that over time, this hanging on to stress, this taking on too much, this long term chronic, um, stress and anxiety, I think will, and science will kind of back it up, triggers physical symptoms that, um, uh, and, and other mental health issues that may not have otherwise showed up. And it's the, it's the very high achievers that need the help that are the very last people to ask for it because you don't even want to admit it to yourself. I mean, even if the system said it was okay, you don't want to admit it to yourself.
0: No, no. I mean, that's, that's very true, because I know when I was working in order to become a qualified lawyer, you end up constantly working, you work crazy hours, stupid hours, in order to prove that you are worthy, in a sense, to really? be a lawyer, and that you you have that work ethic and you, you don't have breaks. Um, and. I have been for a number of years an insecure overachiever. You, and I think a lot, a lot of people who are at the beginning of their legal career are very eager, um, very accommodating. They, they don't know the word no. They will say yes to everything. They will take on everything in order to please everyone. And the more experience you get and the older you get, um, that word no is probably the hardest word that a lawyer can say. Because if you say no and you turn down something, you immediately think that if you turn down that work, then that person's never going to contact you again, never going to reach out to you again with, any work because you said no once so the easiest answer for a lawyer is yes I'll do that yes I'll do that then when you look at their caseload and they have a caseload of 150 to 200 files and the lawyer is tearing their hair out struggling to manage all these files only then does the lawyer realize this is far too much but they feel so afraid to ask for help that then it just ends up being a, a deep spiral?
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <there's laughs> a, so much of the work that I do with my private coaching clients is around exactly that. Because we've been conditioned. And I use the word conditioned on purpose because by the time you get to the point where you can say no, you're conditioned that it's the wrong answer. And for whether it's fear of missing out of, on a potential case or fear of what people will say to you. And, you know, ironically, we lawyers are kind of known as no people. Our clients think that we say no to them all the time. We should just let them do whatever they want. But then, I mean, the real issue is, and if you look at everybody who's the most successful business people, no is the default answer. Because when you say yes to everyone else, including in your example, taking on all kinds of clients, you're actually saying no to yourself. And it's worse than that because you say yes, because you're a person of service and you really want to help a lot of people. I have a client right now. I've been working on this for a while. And this is like a skill, like a habit you build up. You know know what to do. You know how to do it, but you still need to practice because old habits come in. And she wants to help everybody in family law. And I said, so what happens if you take on every case to your ability to serve the people who are already in your world? Well, I'll fail for them too, she says. Yes. So some, you've got to create boundaries and structure to be able to even do the work well, even without where i being overwhelmed. And so we need a system. We need a framework to know what to say yes to and know what to say no to and how to do it. I actually created a document for, for people on how to say no without being negative because this comes up all the time in my speaking is is i i want to i want to get off of this board i've been on the board forever i'm not sure how to say no because i might get clients from it and how, how do i get off of the board well so i had enough of those questions that i said well let me write a guide for you <laughs> including language you can use because we need that as lawyers if we have a if we feel like we have a system a protocol not a computer system but a, a step steps in a process and we can follow that That's what I love about working with lawyers. Because if we give, if they recognize the problem and they have a roadmap to follow, we know how to follow it. I mean, we will need help along the way to not take an off ramp when we shouldn't, but we can follow that template. And the big thing I've found with lawyers and mental health is just
0: recognizing that you're lost. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of positives about lawyers we are academic we're very methodical we're very precise Uh, we deal with detail and attention to detail um but i would like to focus on this conditioning where do you think this conditioning starts with lawyers does it start as early as when you're at university studying law
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that the law, um, we almost self-select for people like that. We are driven. We wanna make a difference in the world. We're used to being really successful and we have a challenge in front of us, let's do it. You know, I'm gonna just go. I, I, that same room full of people I said, so when you, how did you be, decide to become a lawyer? And a lot of people just fall into it. It's like, oh, it just kind of happened. And so I think it's self-selected. It's part of the culture inside of university, inside of, of law school. And it's maybe it has something in common with medicine, where there is the hazing going on. It, it's if you can't hack the hours, if you can't deal with figuring out how to manage your time, even though we haven't taught you, but you have to figure it out by yourself, um, then you're somehow not worthy. But we don't teach any of that. We don't teach anything from client management skills, you know. I, time management feels so overdone, but the fact is that those core skills of being able to manage your time, your energy, and your attention are—it's almost like the foundation of your house yeah. and yeah. and your men, and your mental health. And then the the part that I experienced is the self flagellation that happens. When you're like well i know i should block time on my calendar i'm not doing it so there's obviously something wrong with me because i can't even follow a simple instruction like no that's not what's going on but but we create stories in our heads because we're master storytellers that don't support us we're terrible critics of ourselves and that just i think that just keeps steve that just keeps the mental health death spiral going because we don't yeah. feel like we should have to And and yes, we got to look at a university and at college, but we also have to help the people who are in their 30s or 40s and 50s who are struggling with this now, that you can't wait. The system fix isn't going to help them.
0: No, I mean, I know when I went to university and studied law, the only thing that I really got from that was when you're in a lecture and there's about two, 300 of you in a lecture, you are essentially taught how to pass an exam and you're not taught these skills so for instance commercial awareness is massive but no one teaches you that at university they don't teach you like you've said about time management um managing clients and you essentially when you go through university and you've passed all your exams and you've either got a first or a two one, and then you get into the working world, you you are essentially lost because there's the time management element, there's the being commercially aware, there's managing clients and there's a vast array of clients to manage. So in my field of mental health law, as people can probably imagine, the variety of clients to manage is on a huge spectrum and you have to alter the way that you talk to certain clients by not talking in total legal jargon, which, again, you're taught all of this legal jargon and you're taught all of the case law. But when you're actually in a tribunal hearing, it's not very often that you whip out a case and you say, oh, the case of X against Y, it, but... Yeah. yeah. You know, we're, we are taught, and
1: in essence, yeah, you're taught to pass a test a little bit, um, how to solve problems and, and largely technical problems. Um, and the profession looks down its nose at the softer skills. I, I've been a student Self-taught, good school of hard knocks and academic of how and why people behave the way they do for 30 years, because I saw that early on as an entrepreneur. If I don't, all decisions are made by humans. Unless you understand how humans are motivated and behave and how to communicate with them, then you're not going to be able to, well, including yourself. Uh, you're, it's going to be very difficult. But even in in continuing legal education we're only recently embracing the idea of quote, practice management and, you know, all the problems that I'm seeing, it's, it's, you know, in my words, it's emotional intelligence. It's how to relate to clients. It's how to talk to clients in words they understand and make the law accessible to them. And that's your job. You're a translator of that. And, Um, That's not something we teach. So people have to find support some way. Some people are natural. They get self-taught. Other people take, you know, courses to try to learn. But the problem in the law, I saw somebody posted recently on LinkedIn about this, that lawyers think most eight out of 10 lawyers think a diverse group can be just lawyers. So we are expecting people to learn these business skills, these people skills, from other lawyers and they didn't learn them anywhere. So they're just pass. it's like a game of telephone, passing along terrible information. And it builds a wall between the lawyers and the clients. And part of the systemic thing we need to do is we need to open up the notion that non-lawyers can teach CLE and that CLE topics should include emotional intelligence, more than just time management, um, you know, how to actually market your practice, um, how to recover from adversity. When you're, you know, you're, somebody calls out of the blue and interrupts what you're doing. How do you get your brain back on track? Because now your brain's off to the races, worried about that thing when you're trying to be present where you're at. Those are all what lawyers call soft skills, but that's where what I think the rubber meets the road.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of, Solutions to make lawyers' lives easier. I know there's been a lot of talk about legal technology. Mm -hmm. How can we use legal technology to our advantage?
1: Um, that's, That's a great question. And I have an answer. And it's a couple parts. First, we have to recognize that All technology is, is an accelerator. It will take, literally take whatever process you have programmed into it and it'll do it really fast. So you have to have an understanding of what it is you're trying to accomplish and the steps you want to take to make sure the automation that you choose will actually get you where you want to go. And I see a lot of lawyers like, well, I don't know how to manage my practice. I'm going to just buy a practice management system and that will somehow magically solve my problem got a lot of experience in implementing technology. And if you don't, and in every single implementation, those people come back and ask about your business processes to make sure it'll match up. And if it doesn't, technology just becomes another thing that's causing stress, yeah. another thing to learn, another thing that feels like it's in your way. So you're, you are got the right mindset. You gotta understand what you're trying to accomplish. And when I taught students this in in the MBA world, it was about business plans. You're not going to go from zero to Amazon overnight. Pick a process that can give you the most leverage, accounts receivable, time and billing. Work on that. Step into the technology rather than, than just somehow trying to do so much that it just causes overwhelm and you don't use it. I've seen people spend tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars on technology. They give it two weeks to work. It doesn't work. And they go back to the old way of working. And then it's technology's fault. It's not technology's fault. Um, So technology is enormously important because we still have, I still have clients when they first come to me, they're keeping track of their time on spreadsheets and they're rekeying. And they're dictating into tape machines and having somebody transcribe it. And they're afraid of technology. So this is the other point I wanna make in technology. And it goes to delegation too. They're afraid of losing control. And they have this illusion that if they try to do it themselves, it's under control. But it's not. If you use technology properly, you actually get more control and visibility to what's really important than having this illusion that somehow you're doing a good job at it. But it, it has to, it, it can't be just looked at as I'm suddenly gonna go buy this thing and all my problems are solved.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a lot of law firms over here in the UK that still use dictaphones and the secretary types it up. And you kind of think, I mean, the law, has always been stuck in a time warp <laughs> and it, it struggles to move forward but I do think with coronavirus the law has had to change its ways so before coronavirus when I was doing mental health tribunals they were all face to face they were all in person and then as soon as COVID hit the quickness that they switched from face-to-face to telephone hearings and then within a month or two video hearings was absolutely phenomenal how quick that they just got a platform set up ready to use and it's as if the whole legal profession has been dragged into the 21st century and now you are not confined to one area whereby you do a lot of working because everything is over video and you can cover pretty much the entire country. Um, but you can do it from your office at home. Yeah. But why, why does it take a a pandemic to drag the legal society into the 21st century?
1: This is the same reason why we don't put traffic lights at dangerous intersections until some people die. It, 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 we just won't do it. The The interesting thing about the technology, I, I work with clients all over the world. We're, you're in the UK, I'm in South Carolina, we're recording. It's like we're in the same room. Yeah. And that's tremendous for so many lawyers. And it's really good for clients because we're much more effective. Now, lawyers who depend on billing for the time that they're sitting in the courtroom waiting for a five-minute hearing, they have another problem. But from a mental health perspective, this, so so technology like this is fantastic for productivity. Um, It's also going to be a real challenge for the legal profession as things go back to whatever the new normal looks like, because so much of our history and traditions are in person. The, the, the hallway conversations, the over the coffee maker, hey, I've got this case, or the the seeing the clients is, we're an in-person profession. So as we move to this new hybrid model, it actually creates new stresses for those who thrive on that, we are um, creatures of of touch. We, We need to be, maybe not physical, but in close proximity to other humans. And so if you're already struggling with mental health issues and imposter syndrome and and overpleasing and perfectionism, and you're sitting in your office in front of your three screens and a Zoom camera, that is actually much more exhausting than being in a physical office. So we're going to need even better strategies, law firm leaders, to make sure that you're addressing that, the system, and also the person who's sitting at home, to have this network this person they can reach out to and talk to or these people so they have the virtual experience this is a real challenge going to be a real challenge in as we go into 2021 and 22 and deal with this new workplace especially because the younger generations the 20 and 30 somethings coming up will love this the 50 year olds not so much
0: (laughs) yeah no you're absolutely right i mean i'm 30 and I have got used to this very very quickly but the older lawyers that I speak to they're itching for it to get back to face to face hearings you're travelling out and you're interacting with other professionals yeah. uh, hey. yeah. I I just wonder whether because we've all got used or we've been doing this kind of work from home looking at three screens that when we're allowed to go back out is there going to be a level of anxiety there from lawyers because they've got used to sitting at home speaking to clients over zoom speaking to them over the telephone and then all of a sudden they're having to go out again is there going to have to be a quick change in Time management. Yes.
1: Um, and and there's definitely anxiety on, on a bunch of levels. Like this physical anxiety. Is this person vaccinated? Is it safe to be out? There's, um, you know, social anxiety. But there's also opportunity. Um, yes. and And the opportunity when you're face to face. I mean, we have to, one of the simple ways we can break this stigma of mental health, I think, for lawyers, is... To, to change the answer when you say, "How's it going?" Now it's not to suddenly confess everything that's on your mind, right? <laughs> you don't to go to the cocktail party and say, "How's it going?" Well, actually, I feel like, I feel like a fraud. How are you? Like that's that's not what you do. But but it, but let's get over this. How's it going? Everything's great. Yeah. How's it going? Busy. I'm so busy. I'm really busy. Maybe a little bit more genuine. I'm happy to be here. I'm kind of anxious about being together. At least some way to open a conversation, to stop posing to each other and be human with each other. That's not to say confess what's on your mind, but at least allow yourself that human moment. Because truthfully, Steve, that's what our clients buy from us. This time management is essential. Because when you are feeling calm and in control of your time, and you're managing whatever your stress or your mental health issue is, it won't just suddenly go away. You have to manage it. Then you're presenting yourself to your ideal client and projecting the exact person that they need. Because if you're anxious, you're overwhelmed, you're busy, you're frustrated, you're stressed. Is a client going to hire you? Because they can tell. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I'll get off my soapbox now about that. But I, I think that, there's, there's, it's going to require much more emotional intelligence by leaders of the law to be open to just understanding what's going on with the person on the other side of the table and the other side of the screen.
0: Yeah, um, and, and, and it's
1: got to be okay to talk about this stuff
0: and not worry that someone's going to jump down your throat. Exactly that, and I guess the million-dollar question is how do we get the legal profession to embrace mental health and to start recognising and supporting lawyers who are suffering with their mental health because of the pressures and the stresses that the job involves?
1: I, I think these conversations are really important first step. And in, in a way, we're kind of preaching to the converted because if somebody's listening, they're like probably already in agreement, this is a good idea.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, for, for me, I'm trying to come at it from the place of helping lawyers focus on what's really important, manage their time, their energy, and their attention so that they are less overwhelmed. They uh, feel more in control, they're more conscious of what's going on. I mean, because the first step to fixing any problem, I've been talking about this a lot recently. As a lawyer, when somebody presents to you, the first thing you do is get the facts. Whether you like them or not, this is what's going on. So what if we started doing that with ourselves? The facts are, for many people, they allow themselves to be so overwhelmed because of things they've said yes to or have been voluntold that it's important to do and they don't have a good system to prioritize and how to say no and structure and manage their time or deal with distractions. If I can help them with that tactical thing, the things that are triggering the stress and anxiety and overwhelm, then maybe I can help them create a little bit of space to get to some of these other issues. Because I I don't know that you need to get someone to the place that like the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, Anonymous says, Well. I, I'm, I've am i got mental health issues and I need help, right? That's that's a really big bar to ask somebody to get over. Yep. But if we can work at it from the ground up with how do you manage your time, energy, and attention, how do you have a system so you're not selecting clients who you hate working for and who drive you crazy and who don't pay you, which further creates stress. If we can work on that, then I think it makes a little bit of a difference. And- and these conversations about mental health. And, you know, one of the things we talked about before is, was like, where do people go for help? And I, I really think, you know, at, at least in the United States, every state bar association has a lawyer's assistance program. I got to know the people who ran it in Connecticut when I was leading that bar association. Um, they are lock boxes of information. They will not share anything about anybody that comes to them. And so it's a safe space to get help. Um, Your physician, because sometimes you need some actual qualified medical help and your community. And the community, I'm not talking about the other lawyers in your firm, or maybe even your family, because you've, I mean, you've still got expectations, but there's gotta be a group, whether it's a community, or a coach or a therapist who is a totally safe person can talk to, to talk to and who can tell you the truth, including you're doing okay, you're doing well. Yep. And because when you try to go this alone, look, I, I went this alone for a long time until I couldn't. And then when I did, I'm like, why did I try to do this by myself? Um, so, there's supports available, and you don't have to admit you're broken to go get support. All you got to do is say, I ne- I'm curious about, I need to learn how to be better. Because then you're tapping into your lawyerness because we're learners, we're problem solvers.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, in terms of mental health first aiders, do you feel that they would be an asset? within law firms as a go-to for lawyers who are struggling?
1: Maybe. I think the big, I've been teaching CLEs and I've been coaching for 20 years. And if I go and run a program that's a live in-person program about burnout, people aren't going to go to that. They don't want to be seen as needing that. There was a time when, you know, there was a stigma about going to a time management program. Well, you're obviously terrible at managing your time. If you need time management, that's patently silly, but so there's, there need to be resources that can be accessed secretly for those who are not, who are fearful That's where technology can help because this is a, you know, you close your door, you get onto onto a Zoom call or a telephone and it's confidential. You don't have to walk to somebody's office. Um, And I I do think that associations need to continue um, wellness programs, self-management programs, um, leadership, because, you know, we usually think about leadership as leading other people, but it starts with yourself. So if you're a law firm leader and you're listening to this, and you don't have an employee assistance program as part of your medical benefits program, you need to provide that because that's another outlet that people can go and talk to a professional. Um, or they need to reach out and have someone that can, you know, all the best athletes in the world have coaches, sometimes multiple ones. And they don't, they're not admitting that they're wrong, that they don't know what they're doing. They're saying, I want to be at the top of my game all the time. And when I fall off the horse <laughs> or I have a bad round of golf, <laughs> there's somebody to give me the one little thing I need and tell me it's okay. There's value in that. Yeah. So if a law firm can figure out how to do that without the stigma of the label of you're the mental health person, yeah, I think that would help.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know... One of the things that I have spoke about previously is providing management within law firms to be given the tools and educated about how to notice the signs if Mm -hmm. someone's suffering with their mental health. And then that manager could um, either ask them for a private and confidential discussion to discuss... Together, how both the company and the lawyer can work together in order to help the lawyer get through this rough patch that they're going through and potentially refer them to types of support because then that would show that the company is supporting them and backing them to get through their, their rough time. Um, is that a realistic goal for the legal profession to aim towards? Um, yes,
1: but I don't think that's the way. And, and the reason is having been that boss yeah, and, and being in those situations. Um, I think we do tend to say, well, I'm, Let me hire a specialist. I won't have to deal with it. They can deal with it for me. What you described is the leader's job. It's the leader's job to understand your people, to notice when they're struggling, to ask good questions, to uncover what's going on, not to be a therapist, but to be a leader. And so if somebody's struggling with stress and overwhelm, you want to ask them and get curious, but how are they managing their time? Can you offer support? Can you offer training? When I've had employees in that situation and it usually is something extreme, right? Some parent dies and they're really struggling and their work is, yeah. its easy to see because their work ethic has just disappeared. My The farthest I can go in the United States is to provide them the information on the, the employee assistance program and the lawyer's assistance program and assure them that um, if they encourage them to do that and that there's no way I'll ever know if they did or they didn't and share my experience that these kind of things can help. And there's no shame in it, but there's only so far you can go as a leader. But if lawyers outsource that, if it, if, if they don't take it upon themselves to learn that, then they're abdicating their responsibility as a leader. And, and so if they have all parts, basically all lawyers who are going to lead should have training on this. So they know how to do it. And that lawyer should have someone they can call. Hey, I've got this employee, Steve, who I think needs support. How do I approach it? They should have a resource they can support, but it's up to them to to take the action. So my answer is yes, it would help. It's my difference with you is just on the how.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I mean, to finish, mm-hmm. um, I always like to end on a fun question because right. these sessions can be quite deep, quite intense. Because it's, <laughs> yeah, let's it's, back it's, up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess what, what my question would be is if a movie director came to you and said that they want to make a film about your life... And you and you could pick the actor who played you. Who would it be, and why? You have a lot of fun with these
1: questions. I can tell from it that was not what I've heard you ask before. (laughs) Um, Well, of course, no one would want to make a movie of my life because it's not all that interesting. (laughs) You know, I'm not sure what the theme would be of the lawyer trying to find his path and trying lots of things and learning along the way, but um that's just a way of buying time um so the question was who who would i select to to be the protagonist um i don't know so i'm gonna give you an answer because we're lawyers we make up answers if we don't know i would probably I've, I've always been an Indiana Jones fan. So I'd probably pick Harrison Ford yeah. because he never gives up and doesn't know the truth stand in the way of what he wants to do. He figures out a way. So that's, that's my answer.
0: Perfect. <laughs> and I would just like to finish by saying it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the, the podcast. And I'm sure that the listeners would have taken a lot of insights from it um, in, in terms of, mental health within the legal profession, and busting some of those common myths that are around in regards to lawyers. Um, So once again, thank you for agreeing to be a guest on the podcast.
1: You're quite welcome. Can I uh, give you my uh, way people to contact me if they want to continue the conversation? Is that okay? Uh,
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, So um, I am Chief Learning Officer of Summit Success International, a personal to professional development firm. My email address is Doug, D-O-U-G, at summit-success.com. And I will also have resources uh, for Legal Wolf um, listeners on my website at dougbrownjd.com, where um, I will link out for you the how to say no without being negative, and some productivity tips that um, I've developed for my private coaching clients. Happy to make those available. Uh, Again, my website, dougbrownjd.com and summitsuccess.com. And uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Keep up the work that you're doing. This is really important and um, every conversation helps.